I want to talk to you about, uh, you probably never have heard this preached. Um, I preached this subject, uh, let's see, in 2004, 17 years ago. I did preach on this subject. But you almost never, I've been in various churches through as when I grew up there, I never heard anybody preach on some of this stuff. Maybe I just wasn't there long enough to hear it. But it's a subject that's absolutely necessary. I'm going to give you three examples of it. Biblically, I'm going to read a little bit more scripture than I normally read. Uh, sometimes, you know, I read a couple verses and then apply it and talk about it. And this particular one, today I'm going to read some more scripture. Make sure you have a setting for what I'm going to talk about. I want to talk about the power of remorse, the power of remorse. It's the missing element. It's the missing element in our society. It's the missing element in many churches and even this church. I grew up in an independent, fundamental, Bible-believing group of folks. Started going to church at two years old, whether I liked it or not. My mom and dad got saved at 33 years old, and I was two. And they brought us to church, and all I ever remember was singing the songs of Zion, being raised in church. But you don't get saved by being around church. I had to meet with God, understand that I was a sinner, unable to save myself by any amount of good works. And I trusted Jesus Christ, my personal Savior. It's a one-on-one -on -one thing. You don't inherit it. And you don't get it by just hanging around people that got it. You have to personally meet with God one-to-one. -one. Because you're going to meet with God. Every human being that ever was born, ever took a breath. And even those who didn't take a breath will meet with God one-to-one. -one. Who is that God? The Bible says it's going to be Jesus Christ, the judge of all the earth. He's a judge of the living and the dead. It's Jesus Christ is who you're going to be looking at and who you're going to be talking to. When I was a kid the, in these churches that I went to, I would often see invitations. Now, the modern church movement today, they have um, seminars on how to build a church and how to establish a church, how to maintain churches. And they're kind of a moderate to liberal group and they have had some degree of what they would consider success of getting people to show up. And so they begin to have seminars. And one of the things in their seminars that they, they tell these young preachers is, number one, do not preach on sin. It's negative and people will not come back because it's negative. Then they'll say, forget the invitation. Get rid of the invitations. This is something... That these are, these are people with, uh, you know, 20,000 people coming to their church. So they have some credibility to these young guys. If you don't hold the Bible as the most credible book to find out how to build a church. And so they go to these guys and they hear this stuff. And imitations back even when I was a young man were known as a time of humbling. A time of public remorse before God. I personally, after numbers of sermons, would be deeply convicted 
by what the preacher talked about, and I'd go forward crying in some cases, weeping in some cases, but remorseful over what I had done possibly against God or ignored God passively or aggressively. Um, not everything was uh, peaches and cream. Not everything was praise and worship. There was a time of getting right with God, of getting to know Him. These were public. But you know, a truly broken person doesn't care if something's public. If God's dealing with them, they don't care where they're at, who's around, and what people think. The Bible makes it clear that brokenness and humility get God's attention. Guarantee you. I looked up the words in Hebrew for humility, these three words, humility. The word humility means to bring down or under subjection and can mean to humiliate. The word for broken in Hebrew means to break, to crush. The word for contrite in Hebrew can mean to collapse, to crouch. Body position actually does in some cases uh, reveal what's happening inside. I know that the psychologists of our day in the last mm, 35, 40 years have really been heavy on this thing called self-image that you're not supposed to uh, ever, nobody should ever be humiliated, nobody should ever have guilt. Uh, God forbid that they demonstrate a thing called remorse. I remember uh, in our school, I disciplined a child one time by having him, he was one paying attention, had him come up front and stand up by me and, he was talking while I was trying to teach a class. And I said, if evidently you have more to say than I do, so why don't you talk? And I went and sat down. And he sat there and didn't have anything to say and was embarrassed and went home and told his mom and dad. And they called me up and just tore through me, just tore me up. You have ruined our child probably permanently. That's, that's what's happening. People are believing these psychologists who haven't raised a good kid. While these psychologists haven't raised a successful child. Suicide among psychologists is, number, is one of the number one professions of suicide. I hate to say the other one's dentistry. Yeah. If you were looking in decayed teeth every day, you may... You may lose your mind also. I don't know. <laughs> David said in Psalm 51, 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise. The question I pose to you is how do you get God's attention? You need God's attention. I need God's attention in life. There's times you have to have him. God, help me. This word remorse in our dictionary, I like Funk and Wagner dictionary. Webster dictionary is a great dictionary also. Here's what it says in Funk and Wagner under the word remorse. It says, the keen anguish caused by a sense of guilt, a distressing self-reproach. 
Remorse is maybe the element that we're lacking in our society. We've so worked at creating a good self-image for our children by telling them they did good and have accomplished things when they didn't do good and they didn't accomplish anything. We quit having competitions in sports in, in many ways. They've quit competition because they didn't want to, they, they went and told a group of kids, you're all winners. They're not all winners. Life is competition. And so we have gotten a group of people who believe remorse is some sort of a mental abuse. Contrite and brokenness is some sort of, should never happen. And isn't healthy. But I'm telling you this morning, the Bible says it's healthy. The Bible says a broken and contrite heart is good for you. It'll help you. And it'll help God help you. Because he's going to listen to you. And I'm going to give you three examples as quickly as I can. I don't want to belabor the point. The power of remorse in King Ahab's life. Now, if, you're, if you know the Bible, this is going to help you because this is meat pretty much this morning. If you don't know the Bible, you may struggle with this. So I'm sorry for that. But I've got to do this. 1 Kings chapter 21, verse 20. Let me read down through 29. Quite a passage here. And Ahab said to Elijah, Hast thou found me, O mine enemy? Now, Ahab was the king of Israel. He was a bad boy, and he was really married to a bad girl. You know her name, right? Jezebel. And I haven't heard any babies' names lately being called Jezebel. I haven't heard anybody. But Ahab did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord more than any king before him, partially due to his wife encouraging him. That's just what the Bible says. And so Elijah, the prophet of God, found Ahab. And he, and he answered and said, I have found thee because thou hast sold thyself to work evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I will bring evil upon thee and take away thy posterity and will cut off from Ahab him that pisseth against the wall and him that is shut up and left in Israel. Urinals are old. The way to describe a man. And I will make... Mine house like the house of Jeroboam and the son of Nebat, and like the house of Baash, the son of Ahijah, for the provocation wherewith thou hast provoked me to anger and made Israel to sin. And of Jezebel also spake the Lord, saying, The dog shall eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. Him that dieth of Ahab in the city, the dog shall eat. And him that dieth in the field, shall the fowls of the air eat, the vultures." And there was none like unto Ahab which did sell himself to work wickedness in the sight of the Lord, whom Jezebel his wife stirred up. And he did very abominably, abominable, excuse me, in following idols according to all things as did the Amorites, whom the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. And here's the key verses, and if you've got your Bible open, you will mark these. Verse 27, 29. It came to pass when Ahab heard those words that he rent his clothes and put sackcloth, that's burlap by the way, on his flesh. Now any of you have ever let burlap touch you. It is like wearing wool 
uh, the old-timey wool. It'll scratch you. It's scratchy. He put sackcloth on his flesh and fasted, quit eating, and lay in sackcloth and went softly, meaning he wasn't going around saying, oh, happy day, happy day. He went softly, sorrowfully. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Seest thou how Ahab humbleth himself before me? Now, wait a minute. Let's stop. Ahab was bad guy. Because he humbleth himself before me, I will not bring the evil in his days. But his son's days will I bring the evil upon his house. I got a few observations. Number one observation on this passage is, of all the people that God would listen to, surely not Ahab. He was a dedicated worshiper of Baal, false god. His wife was the worst woman to come to, the, to, come to Israel ever. Ahab had 850 uh, priests of Baal in the land. Jezebel had the priests of the Lord killed when at all possible. Surely not Ahab. Observation number two. Ahab demonstrated true remorse for his sins publicly. Observation number three. Ahab received mercy from God who gave him another 20 years of life that were unencumbered with the judgment that God told him was going to happen. That all your family is going to get killed. Every one of your male children are going to die. They did. God did fulfill this and he did what he said he was going to do but he had mercy. In other words, he delayed the judgment. People would say, when God says something, it's certain it's going to happen. Yes, but God is willing to be influenced by you. He's willing to delay it. People come to me and say, America's shot. We're shot. We've killed 65 million innocent children and so on and so forth. And we're immoral and this, that. And I agree with all that and say, amen, amen. But if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I'll forgive their sin here from heaven and I'll heal their land. That's also in the Bible. 2 Chronicles 7.14. That's in the book too. God is greatly moved by personal humiliation and true remorse over sin, even by this wicked person Ahab. And i got to stop here and say, if Ahab can influence God by rending his clothes, putting on sackcloth, fasting, quit eating for a period of time and going about with, with a sorrowful spirit, surely you and I ought to be able to do something with God. The second example I see of remorse in the Bible, outstanding examples, is the area of Hezekiah, King Hezekiah. 2 Kings chapter 20, verse 1 through 6. In those days was Hezekiah sick unto death, and the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, came to him and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Set thine house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. Well, that's pretty straightforward, amen? Get your house in order. What's that mean? Get rid of the clutter. 
Go through every one of your closets. Give everything away. Downsize so your kids don't have to do it. Amen, amen. He just said you're not going to live. Then he turned his face to the wall. Now look, this was Isaiah that came to him. Isaiah was a great prophet of God. It wasn't frivolous. God told Isaiah, go tell my servant Hezekiah's time's over. He had a boil, and this boil was unto death. His sickness was unto death. And so Isaiah was sent by God to confirm with Hezekiah that this sickness that he had was unto death. You're not going to get healed. You're not going to get up out of the bed. Now, when God tells you you're not going to get better, it's better than the doctor. Amen? <laughs> and then he turned his face to the wall and prayed, and the Lord said, now, now look, this is hopeless. I beseech thee, O Lord, remember... Now, how I have walked before thee in truth with a perfect heart and have done that which is good in thy sight. And Hezekiah wept sore. It came to pass after Isaiah was gone out in the middle of court and the word of the Lord came to him. He wasn't even out of the compound or the campus yet. In verse 5, Here's what God told Isaiah, his prophet. Turn again and tell Hezekiah, the captain of my people. Thus saith the Lord, the God of David, thy father, I have heard thy prayer. I have seen thy tears. Behold, I will heal thee. On the third day thou shalt go up unto the house of the Lord. And I will add unto thy days fifteen years. And I will deliver thee this city and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria. And I will defend this city for mine own sake and for my servant David's sake. Basically, observation number one, God had sent Isaiah to tell him he was going to die. This is pretty solid information. Observation number two, in the face of the very word of God, Hezekiah still prayed, still humbled himself, wept sore before God with a contrite heart. Observation number three, the tears of Hezekiah and his brokenness got God's attention. Observation number four, God has 15 years contradicting his own words. I mean, so I, I, how would Isaiah feel? Isaiah sent by God goes to, the, you know, I got credibility, right? God's speaking through me, telling you you're going to die. You're not going to get up out of bed. I leave. I go on my way. Pretty soon God says, go back and tell him, No. I'm going to give you 15 years. Which one of them is he going to believe? The third example I have for you is Josiah. Josiah's remorse. This is found in 2 Kings chapter 22. Uh, and I, I go through a few verses down through verse 20. Through verse 10 through verse 20. And Shaphan the scribe showed the king saying to Hilkiah the priest had delivered me a book. They found the book of God. How bad off was Israel during the time of Josiah? They lost the Bible. They lost the Bible. That's bad. And he said, 
And Shaphan read it before the king. So the king said, okay, you found this book, read it to me. What I believe it was, it could have been the book of Deuteronomy. It could have been the first five books called the Pentateuch of the Bible. But it was something like, it had to be the book of Deuteronomy. Because in the book of Deuteronomy, if you read chapter 27, 28, it's the cursings and the blessings. If you do these things, I'm going to bless you. If you don't do these things, I'm going to curse you. He heard that for the first time, Josiah. And it came to pass when the king had heard the words of the book of the law that he rent his clothes. And he said, go inquire the Lord for me, for the people and for Judah concerning the words of this book that is found. Listen to what he said. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us because our fathers have not hearkened to the words of this book to do according unto all that is written therein concerning us or written concerning us. And she said unto him, them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Tell the man that sent you to me, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will bring evil upon this place and upon the inhabitants thereof, even all the words of the book which the king of Judah hath read. In other words, my word will ultimately be exactly as it was said. Because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods that They might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore, my wrath shall be kindled against this place and shall not be quenched. Okay? Why is the wrath coming? Because you outright disobeyed and mocked me. But the king of Judah, which sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus shall ye say to him, so Josiah, thus saith the Lord God of Israel, as touching the words which thou hast heard. Because thine heart was tender... And thou hast humbled thyself before the Lord, when thou heardest what I spoke, what I spake against this place and against the inhabitants thereof, that they should become a desolation and a curse. And listen to what the next words are. And hast rent thy clothes and wept before me. I also have heard thee, saith the Lord. Behold, therefore, I will gather thee unto thy fathers, and thou shalt be gathered unto the grave in peace, and thine eyes shall not see all the evil which I will bring on this place. And they brought the king word again. Observation number one. He rent his clothes, and he went before God publicly. Now, is this sounding repetitive? Ahab, Hezekiah, Josiah. Different people, by the way. Ahab was a bad guy, real bad. Now, Hezekiah was a good guy, loved God, and Josiah was a good guy, loved God, but the people had sinned and gone past the point of no return with God, and he had pronounced a judgment on them. He says, it's going to happen just like it's written. And they publicly humbled themselves before God. Observation number two, his heart was tender, and humble before God. And observation number three, God delayed the certain judgment coming to Israel and Jerusalem and delivered them greatly. Why? Why did God do this to Ahab? All I can tell you is God's moved even when wicked people have a broken and contrite heart. And in some way, demonstrate it physically. It's not just all internal. 
In other words, it wasn't just he was broken internally. It wasn't just he cried. He rent his clothes. He sent for, sent for the, the, the man of God in the case of Josiah. Why did Hezekiah get answered prayer? Remorse. Why did Ahab get answered prayer? As far as I can tell, remorse. Why did Josiah get answered prayer? As far as I can tell, remorse. The power of remorse is what, I want to talk, what I'm trying to dwell on here a little bit this morning. There's power in getting before God and getting broken and contrite. That now I lay me down to sleep and now I pray my soul to keep prayer just doesn't cut it. Repeating the Lord's prayer dry and tearless just doesn't cut it. God wants you real. Why are so many Christians powerless today and anemic or in any generation? Their lack of remorse. Why are there so many divorces and trouble among God's people? There's definitely a lack of remorse one to the other. Why are there so many tearless altar calls and emotionless decisions? Must be a lack of remorse. No remorse means no sorrow for sin. Let me take you into the New Testament and explain this to you. Second Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. You need to go there. Second Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. This is where it's explained. Second Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10 says, For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation. Not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh dead. Now let me, let me show three steps. Three steps here of getting to salvation. The last one being salvation. Godly sorrow, that's remorse. Brokenness, that's remorse. Uh, that's godly sorrow, excuse me. Brokenness is godly sorrow. Remorse is godly sorrow. Contriteness is godly sorrow. Humility is godly sorrow. For godly sorrow. So before repentance and salvation, the Bible says there is a sense of personal anguish. Personal humility. Personal brokenness. I know when I got saved, I was broken. Every time I've gotten right with God, I've been broken. I don't see how you get right with God unless you're broken. It's not, it's not tearless. It's not emotionless. It's not anguishless. It's not guiltless. For godly sorrow causes you to come to a place where you're willing to change your mind and go to God, go God's way. That's why the old time preachers of, of 40, 50 years ago that preached on hell and preached on the consequences of sin had so many converts. And those converts lasted and stayed their whole lifetime. Why? Because it was genuine repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
You're here today by majority because you have repented genuinely, really, with remorse before God and trusted Christ as your personal Savior. It wasn't just joining a church, uh, signing up for a creed, uh, getting, getting wet in a baptistry, or, or anything like that. It was between you and God. It was between you and Jesus Christ who died for you and gave his blood that you may have eternal life and forgiveness of sins. It was, it was big. So what we have is you have remorse, which leads to repentance, and that leads to renewal or salvation. So remorse, repentance, and renewal. Let me ask you some questions as I close. Are your prayers dry bones? Lately, have your prayers been dry bones? You repeat words, but without any heart to it. Have they been dry bones? Are you emotionless at seeing the sins of God's people or our country? Do you sin personally and treat it as kind of a matter-of-fact way where everybody sins? If so, you do not have the ingredient that gets God's attention in the Bible. A sense of a broken and contrite heart, which David knew all about. After David did Bathsheba and killed Uriah, and after, after one year passed, he was emotionless about it. Until that old skinny-fingered, long-fingered Baptist preacher said, Thou art the man. And it hit him that he had sinned against God with all the privilege. God had taken, taken him from the sheep coat, from watching over the little sheep, and made him the king of Israel. And it hit him that he had betrayed the Lord God. And he was broken. The Bible said he laid in the dirt, fasted, wouldn't eat. God heard it. Nathan said, God heard you. He's not going to take your life. Have mercy on you. I think we need to ask God for a humble and contrite heart and brokenness, don't you? We need it. What does the church of 2021 need? We need a sense of brought back of the old time contrite, broken spirit before the preaching of the Bible and before the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Rather than everybody pretend like they don't have problems and go around like they never have struggled, we need to confess our faults one to another. Pray for one another. That's what the book says. That humbles you. And then step back and watch God begin to work. Watch God begin to work. By the way, this does not only work with God, it works with people. It works with people. You may have some relative that you've had a grudge battle going on for 10 years, 20 years. Recently, somebody told me they hadn't talked to their, a, 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 a girl told me that her, she hadn't talked to her dad for three years because they got this little grudge thing going on. All that's about is pride. All that's about. It's all pride. God hates pride. But she's not going to give in. He's not going to give in. 
So I texted the dad and told him he needs to get a hold of his daughter, shame on him, and be broken to his daughter. I texted her and said, you need to get a hold of your dad and be broken and contrite to your dad and ask him to forgive you for doing this way. And both of you, both of you need to get broken. If just one of them would get broken, the other one would probably get broken. And that one of them needs to go to the other one and say, I've sinned against you and it's been wrong and I'll take all the blame. I don't care who the blame is. I don't care who was wrong. I just, we need to restore a relationship back together. I've heard 10 years, 20 years, people go and don't talk to each other, don't see each other, don't. It works with people, by the way. You say, but I didn't do anything wrong. They wronged me. There ain't nothing wrong with you taking wrong that you didn't do. Jesus did. Jesus became sin for me who knew no sin. That I may be made the righteousness of God in him. Man, hey, it won't hurt me to take some wrong that I didn't do. Right? It ain't going to hurt you to take some blame that you don't deserve. It won't be the end of the world for you to say, hey, please forgive me when really you didn't really do anything to act, but you just wanted to, you just want to break the bondage of the hate and the pride and the wickedness of the old flesh, and you want to get the attention of that person so you can have a relationship again and be together like you should. Hey, I guarantee you save some marriages. Well, I've seen marriages get, you know, it's called the down spiral. You hurt me, I hurt you. 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 But I'm going to be on the up spiral. I do you good, you do me. We, we, my wife and I are constantly competing on how we can help each other. And I'm winning. <laughs> you believe that? I'm not winning. I don't have to win. Don't have to win. I believe if we ask God to give us a spirit of remorse again, He'll do it. I believe if we ask God to give us a tender heart, He'll do it. I believe if God will allow us to shed tears again, He'll do it. Didn't he say you receive not because you ask not? Are you tired of being cold, tearless? May God help us to see it. Father, help us this morning. May the Holy Spirit do his work with the word of God. And may folks, may God's people be tender people. Compassionate people, contrite people, broken people, remorseful over their sin. Oh, oh God, have mercy on your people. Have mercy upon your people. Send us a refreshing from heaven. Father, Send us fresh oil. Anoint us again with your power. That as the world gets darker, we may shine brighter because you're with us.
There may be some here today without Jesus. I'm not saying you're not religious, but you don't know what it means to have Jesus as your personal Savior and have the indwelling Holy Spirit of God promised us by that. It's foreign to you. It's strange to you. It don't have to be. God will help you see it. If you want it, you can have it. God wants to give you salvation, cleansing from all unrighteousness. That's his desire for you, his wish for you, his love for you. But he won't do it without you. Godly sorrow work with repentance to salvation. That's, just, that's it. Help us, Father. If you're here without Christ, we'd love to talk to you about it. After the service, during the service, whatever time. If your marriage is about to go down the tubes because you're playing a will battle, why don't you just, you're right, maybe you're right, why don't you just, why don't you just take the wrong? Jesus' name. Amen. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.